Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You wear it for special occasions, uh, or if you want a free cheeseburger, you just point right there and show them that ring, and you might get one. Andy Reid with the new ring, and yeah, it took a little time for the uh, Chiefs to get the rings made, distributed. Usually, it's something that happens in June, Chris. They finally did it last night, a ring ceremony, nine days before they begin their quest for number two. Better late than never. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it up close. It is awesome. It a is. lot of red on the top of it. Two Lombardi trophies because it's their second one, even though it was a 50-year gap in between. But a, a very, very nice ring. And a little trolling on the inside with the scores of the playoff games, with the logos of the teams they vanquished, and the margin that was erased in each game. 24 points against the Texans, 10 against the Titans, 10 against the 49ers, your 49ers with seven minutes left in the game. So congratulations, Chiefs. You finally got your rings. Now go get a second one. I mean, Maybe maybe in another 50 years, maybe sooner. Well, yeah, hopefully it is sooner for, for their sake. Uh, sharp ring, though. It really is. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd love to see the emblem and, of course, some meanings around the ring. It's cool that they put that on the inside with the fourth quarter comebacks, the be great stuff on the side. You know, you always heard – yeah, Mahomes on the sideline yelling that last year. Be great. Let's be great. All of that. So uh, it's great meaning. It's a great time for them. It is crazy that it's nine days before the next season and they're just getting it. You know, it's like, uh, okay, let's let's open the book for one more time from last year. And I'm I'm guessing they had a little party last night, right? Do they? Ha- I'm I'm hoping they had the day off today at least so they could have some fun and enjoy these new rings. I don't know. That's what happens when you give out the rings, you know, know. a week before your first game of the season. Right. If you do it in June, that's a time when everybody can kick back and relax a little bit. But because of the pandemic, it screwed everything up. But let me tell you, and there's Patrick Mahomes with wow. the nice wooden case. Looks like a little humidor there. I don't know that you need a humidor for a ring. Mahomes producing the thing. It feels like they get larger and larger every year to the point where you could cook breakfast on it if you needed to. 
but there are the players getting their rings. Some of the guys gone, not many guys gone. And as we pointed out yesterday, there's a chance some of the guys who got rings yesterday will be gone by Saturday if they don't make the 53-man roster because they got some new guys who are going to earn roster spots. So uh, maybe your parting gift, but it's one hell of a parting gift. And Chris, I don't maintain a bucket list. I don't know if you do. Now that you're 40, maybe it's something you should keep in mind. But one thing that I vow to you and to everyone who's watching on Peacock or listening on SiriusXM or possibly watching on Sky if we're live today, I'm really not 100% sure, but let's assume we are. Hello, right. London. I will own a Super Bowl ring at some point in my lifetime, whether it's because I steal one, whether it's because I buy one, whether it's because one falls off the truck, whether it's because I end up working as a janitor with a team and the team gets lucky despite my employment with the team and they earn one. I will own a Super Bowl ring before I die, unless I die, you know, fairly soon. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Possible. I'm, I'm going to throw the challenge flag on that. I'm going to throw the challenge flag on that. I mean, first off, we just saw Josh Gordon, what he auctioned his off for 138000 or something like that. You're not yes. paying 138000 for anything. You're not. So I don't think that's happening. And um, maybe somebody will hire you as a janitor of their football team, but I find that highly unlikely as well. Also, I'm telling you, you at some point, yes. at some point, at some point, I will manage to trick my wife into thinking that it's a good investment <laughs> and, and, um, or, or one will just end up being available for, you know, bargain basement price somehow, some way I'll, I'll trip across one. That's a good deal. Maybe somebody finds one in their attic, although I don't want an old one. I want one of the new gigantic ones, but one day I will have one. Well, have, have you ever heard the story about how the Super Bowl ring became, went to the next level, right? To where it became this modern day, like, of course, you know, like you've said, it's gotten bigger, more diamonds and all of that. Go back, anybody. Look in the early years of the Super Bowl. It usually just said Super Bowl champion. There'd be like one diamond in the middle, right? You've seen those, Mike, right? My understanding of this is Al Davis is the one that changed this, so the Oakland Raiders. You were only allowed to spend a certain amount of money on the ring. Let's say it was $10,000, right? Okay, well, Al didn't like that. We know Al. He wanted to do it big. I mean, he wore diamonds all over his leather you know, jumpsuit he did. So within that, to challenge that and make the ring bigger, what he did was paid $10,000 for the ring, but then he told the company to pay it, add an extra $10,000 for the box that holds the ring. And I've been told that by many people throughout the NFL. But to me, he's the guy that I've always heard got the credit for the ring starting to go to the next level instead of just being so plain Jane. At the league office, they have a great display in the lobby where every ring from every Super Bowl is lined up with a magnifying glass that you can slide to get a closer yeah. look. And yeah, the first few years kind of like your yeah, high school class right, ring there's right. nothing special about it and yeah as time goes by they get larger and larger and more elaborate and uh i i remember having in my hand heinz ward's ring from super bowl 43 because that would have been the second one that he won he designed that one yeah. and that's the one where you feel like you're walking around with a piano in your hand right it's so big it's so heavy that's the thing about a super bowl ring if you ever get a chance to hold one i know chris you have because your dad has two of them one that he actually earned but if you ever get a chance <laughs> he's to, gonna I'm whoop sorry. you and he sees you one day. <laughs> <laughs> he, knows I'm, he knows i'm kidding i hope but uh um, if you ever get a chance to hold one in the palm of your hand there's just something about it it's yeah. got a it's got a, a heaviness and a thickness to it so i'm telling you 
As God and Chris Sims is my witness, I will own a Super Bowl ring before I die. Uh, okay. It may I be mean, maybe the, the day Vikings, before I die. Maybe the Vikings but will send I will you own one. one. Maybe they'll send you one. Your team, the Vikings, they'll send you a de facto Super my Bowl team. ring. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's going to happen. But uh, <laughs> if there was one ring that you could own, other than whichever one you get versus the one your brother Matt gets from your dad, what what, uh, what Super Bowl ring would you want? Ooh. Um. I always, I mean, anytime you go to the the teams that won four, I, I guess what I would really want is, I think the probably the coolest ring out there would be the Patriots' fifth Super Bowl, you know, with with Brady and Belichick. the The fact that they became the first quarterback coach combo to win that, the fashion and what they won that in, and twenty eight to three, all of that. I guess that's one that just stands out to me because of the history of it and uh, everything about it. You know, I'm looking at a bunch of the older ones now. Uh, the one that really stands out to me is the first Giants Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, with the Super Bowl win, trophy. Because, because it's the trophy in diamonds, and right. that's the only that's one yeah. that has the Lombardi trophy in diamonds. Now, now one trophy, so it's big and it's conspicuous. Right. Other teams have multiple, like the Chiefs have two behind their KC. But you can't even tell. I mean, you, by looking at the ring quickly, you can't even tell what team it is. It says Giants across the top, but the middle of the ring has that that trophy in it. I, I kind of like that one if I was going to have one. So can you, like, no, uh, no, 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 and... you know, Phil earned that one, so <laughs> screw you. You don't get that one. <laughs> All right, well, the Saints earned one a long time ago. It has been 11 years and counting, and they are trying to get back to a second Super Bowl and win a second Super Bowl. And one of the key ingredients is running back Alvin Kamara. What you need to know this morning begins with running back news galore. And we're going to start with Alvin Kamara. There is, Chris, and you're hearing it. I'm hearing it. I'm reading it. I'm seeing it. I'm hearing from different people that I know. All of a sudden, right, there was nothing about Alvin Kamara. All of a sudden. The, the, it's crazy. Like it's everywhere. Like, and, and it's a ping pong of different rumors and reports and they're, they're willing to trade him. Well, actually a couple of nights ago, they started making calls in an effort to shop him. And I believe it has nothing to do with trying to trade him and everything to do with demonstrating to Camara that no one else is going to pay him what the saints are willing to pay him because a new team would also have to give up enough to placate the Saints to make the trade happen. So right. a trade is not going to happen. The market just isn't where Alvin Kamara wants it to be. The Saints, I think, are moving toward getting a deal done. Kamara is moving toward compromising. Here's the problem. Once Christian McCaffrey got $16 million a year, That's right. that sent everything into a tizzy for Alvin Kamara because right. the Saints have long believed that Kamara is every bit as good as McCaffrey. Well, if McCaffrey gets 16, you got a problem if you think your guy is as good as Christian McCaffrey. The problem is they don't use him the way the Panthers use McCaffrey. So at some point, somebody's got to convince Kamara, you're not going to burn bright for a short period of time like McCaffrey. You're going to be around longer. You're going to make more maybe over the course of your career than McCaffrey because we're not overusing you. And so it's better to accept a lesser amount because you're going to play longer at a lesser amount. You're going to be used less than a guy who is used to justify yes. top-of-the-market money. Right. And I think that's that's how they're trying to work this through to get Kamara to understand why 
he's not at or close to the Christian McCaffrey level financially. Yeah, well, I, I hope he, he does understand that. I mean, that, that's what I had always kind of heard through the process is that's where the, the asking number, the negotiation started was the Christian McCaffrey number. No, you know, that's not going to happen. First off, you know, Alvin Kamara is an awesome player. Kamara is an awesome player. We know that. I, I, is he Christian McCaffrey? Absolutely not. And also... You know, is he as vital to the success of the New Orleans Saints as Christian McCaffrey is? No, absolutely not. You know, the Saints, as great as Alvin Kamara is, hey, Sean Payton, you know, he can get a lot of people open. There's Michael Thomas there. There's, of course, Drew Brees, Jared Cook. There's other supporting system. You know, most base-level fans, when you just go Carolina Panthers, they just go, oh, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not like a major – he's an approved part of his career right now. DJ Moore at receiver. So the whole team is based around Christian McCaffrey. That's different than what Alvin Kamara is asked to do there with New Orleans, even though he's a very important part. Now, yeah, McCaffrey blows it out of the water. McCaffrey's doing special things. I think he's clearly the best running back in football. You know, now you start to look at it, okay, who are the other guys in that conversation? And to me, I don't think it's coincidental – that this came out on a day where we saw Joe Mixon get a new contract either. I would think that threw a little bit of a, a wrench into things or whether Alvin Kamara liked Joe Mixon's contract or thinks he deserves to be paid significantly more, I don't know. But what I would argue is if he's getting anything north of Joe Mixon, I would say take it, Alvin Kamara, take it. That's just the way it is. The market is it is weird right now. Derrick Henry for the Tennessee Titans signed for less money than CJ2K did. What was that, nine years ago at running back as far as year to year goes? So yep. the, the, the running back market is in a weird spot right now. And I hope, you know, Alvin Kamara doesn't box himself into a corner here where, you know, he puts himself in the doghouse in New Orleans a little. And, and the way that this all exploded in the last 24 hours with – and it started – I think it was Schefter who said there were unexcused absences and Kamara was going to be fined for it. Right. I've heard that's disputed. I've heard he's been fined $200,000. I think there are reports to that effect. There's even scuttlebutt that he and Sean Payton, the head coach, got into it. Not physically, not Latrell uh, Sprewell style from years right. ago. But, but some they, arguing. They had some sort of an argument. And I don't know what's true and what's not true. I'm just telling you what people are talking about. But it all came out of nowhere. It's amazing. But now the way that the dust settled by the end of the day, and maybe this is something that just had to happen. By the end of the day, back at the table, working on a deal with the goal of getting the deal done by Monday. And there's a degree of confidence from people in the know that despite all of this stuff, despite all the stuff that went on, they're going to get something done by Monday. And I think you're right, Chris. Joe Mixon gets $12 million a year. That's the floor for Alvin Kamara, right. but but where's the ceiling? Yes. The ceiling's McCaffrey. He's not getting a McCaffrey. No he wants more than Mixon, and if McCaffrey's at 16 and Mixon's at 12, isn't this easy? Just give him 14. Give him 13. 13-5, 13, something. Put some incentives in there that would get him north of 14 based upon playing time, based upon performance. There's a way to massage this to make it life-changing money for Alvin Kamara and also – to, to reflect the yeah. way the team feels about him, but also to reflect the extent to which the team uses him because they don't use him the way that McCaffrey is used, and that's a benefit long-term to Alvin Kamara's career. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think you know what you said is correct to me. That's the way I kind of see it. 
anything north of Joe Mixon, I, I think should be good for Alvin Kamara. Listen, I, I, I let's be totally honest. Who would you rather have at running back, Joe Mixon or Alvin Kamara? Well, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd yeah. Alvin Kamara, but I would use him like Joe Mixon. It's different. Right? I know. I yeah. well, yeah. I you know, I I would probably sit here and tell you that I think Joe Mixon's a probably more talented running back and a, more of a they're kind of a different animal altogether. Joe Mixon's a bigger guy, a beast. I mean, he is thick and powerful looking. Alvin Kamara, you and I have seen him before. Yeah, he's got some muscle, but he's more of the variety of like, you know, that third down in between type running back. If that, I hope I'm explaining that the correct. But you way, said, right? but you you said yesterday he's their best between the tackles runner, and they have Latavius Murray. I, he is. He there's no doubt. I'm not trying to downplay the importance of Alvin Kamara and how good of a damn player he is. I'm I'm truly not. I'm just trying to flush out this conversation as far as, you know, the money and where he stands in this. And I think that that's what I'm getting down to. I think you just got to be happy to anything above Joe Mixon. And I think the Saints, they probably realize like, hey, to save face, Alvin Kamara, the things he's done for our team, we've gone to the playoffs. We got to pay him a little more than Joe Mixon. What what's And then, of course, Derrick Henry at 12-5. The ones that are confusing the conversation, I would expect, too, is the David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell contract. You know, that's where I'm sure Alvin Kamara is looking at that going, wait, but they're north of $13 million a year, and I'm better than them. And that is for damn sure. He's better from that, better than they are. Um, but, yeah, David Johnson and, and Le'Veon Bell were fortunate to get two teams that were kind of stupid and giving him a contract that was a little too expensive. And this is the key with running backs, and this is what I tell people, agents, people from teams, and yes, some of them do talk to me from time to time, basically because they need some janitorial work done. But the uh, the the reality is running backs get paid for what they've done, yes. not for what they're going to do. do. Right. That's the danger. Yeah. Le'Veon Bell isn't worth $13.5 per year right now. But he was at some point. Exactly. Right? David Johnson isn't worth $13 million per year now, but he was at some point. And that's what teams are trying to avoid. And that's why, like, a Dalvin Cook, right? Uh, right. Why won't the Vikings make him a huge offer? Because the Vikings see the Le'Veon Bell contract. They see the David Johnson contract. They see the Todd Gurley contract. How many of these long-term big money running back contracts are done by the team and a year later they wish they had never done it right they right. regret it already right and you get boxed into a corner and you know that's why derrick henry did the deal that he did to stay in tennessee you only get big money from the team that drafted you and the team that saw you become a star because that fan base yes. demands that the guys stay with the team. Right. And you're signing the guy to placate your fan base. It's yes. a customer service move. Right. That's what it is. And that started with Sean Alexander. It continued with LaDainian Tomlinson. And, and that's when about that same time frame, now Tomlinson continued to earn it, but that's that same time frame where you see Sean Payton go to New Orleans. He's got Reggie Bush, but that's fine. I've got Deuce McAllister. I've got Pierre Thomas. Right. I'm going to start rotating these guys so there's no one guy that I get backed into a corner and have to pay huge money to. And now, after all these years, Sean Payton is on the brink of having to pay more than he wants to pay to a running back. Yeah, no, he is. He's in a, And, well, you know, that's why we see teams do running back committee, to your point. And that's why you're right. New Orleans, look at, look at the New England Patriots. 
Hey, James White, he's really good. Do I think he's a superstar? No, but they know, hey, we're creative, we're smart. You know, we'll, this guy's smart too, and he's got some skills, of course, that will make it look better than maybe he really is because we'll game plan and design and do things that way too. Uh, so you're right. That's, to me, the, the more popular way of addressing the running back position in the modern-day NFL because uh, we know how brutal, brutal the position is. It is a short shelf life. Uh, the one thing I'll say – you know, that I'm I'm happy to see is the owners are, are stepping up a little bit as far as the running back position and not like holding their feet to the fire until it's year five or year six to where it's like, okay, this guy, yeah, give him some money, even though he's like, he's his body's beat to death and it's coming to an end as far as his career. I do like the recent trend of what we saw with Ezekiel Elliott and giving Jerry Jones a lot of credit for that. You know, and these these deals being done after the he third had to go year. to Mexico for a month to hold. On. He had to, he had to, I know. to draw a line in the sand and disappear to get his money. They I, didn't do it out of the goodness of their heart. Well, either way, he took care of them, and at least they're entertaining it more, is what I'm saying in year three than anything before. We used to not see that, and that used to bother me. And I do think that's changed just a little bit. Remember what we said though last year before Ezekiel I held out. We said now is the time to make your stand because the offense could change this year. Yeah. The pendulum could swing toward the passing game. And what happened last year yeah. with the Dallas offense? And what's going to happen this year oh, with Mike McCarthy there? Right? So the, the thing is, you know, you, you've and, – and I think that's the fair way to do it because it's not appropriate. It's not right for a team to be able to take a running back, especially in round one where you have the fifth-year option. You can – Keep the guy for every game of that first contract through five seasons. Yep. You can franchise tag him for a year, and then you just walk away. You got your six years out of him. He's a running back. He's used up by that point. No, we're not paying you, and the market's not going to pay you. That's exactly what happened to Melvin Gordon with the Chargers. Exactly. With the exception of the franchise tag. Right. They chewed him up on a five-year deal. They didn't want to pay him. He held out last year, and the Chargers – said, we're, we're, we're not, why? We're, we're not doing this. We'll keep Austin Eckler. We'll pay him a hell of a lot less money. I mean, that's the thing, folks. And again, they don't like to peel that curtain back. They don't like you to see the man behind the curtain. They don't want you to understand that at the core, it's a business. Football is business. And there's no position where the business realities are more important than running back because most of these big contracts are lifetime achievement awards. And now we're seeing Guys taking a stand after three seasons, when the window opens on a contract, that's when they say, pay me. And that's what Kamara's doing. That's what Mixon did. Remember last week he was missing practice with migraines? Yep, yeah, it turns right. out they were migraines. Yeah. Mixon held in. Mixon got paid. Kamara apparently holding in. He's going to get paid. And th that that's, that's how you do it because if you wait too long – What's going to happen? You're going to have a year or two under that new contract. They're going to tear it up and throw it away because by then you're not earning it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, that, that's why these guys got – these running backs got to draw a line in the sand to what you said to make these things happen. And I got total respect for Alvin Kamara and what he's doing here. Yeah, he's got to take care of himself, his body. He's been banged up already. We know that. And, you know, as we talked about yesterday, he does have leverage from the sense of he is, you know, again, not Christian McCaffrey to his offense – but really important to his offense. And not just that because he's a talented player, but there's a true scheme need for that type of player there. And I know they got Ty Montgomery behind him, and I'm sure he'll be pretty good at doing some of that stuff too. But he ain't Alvin Kamara. And, uh, yeah, Sean Payton's – he's stuck with this one.
You know, he got a guy that he really liked. He fed him the ball. Stats say it. Fantasy world loves him. Team wins. Fan base gets behind it, just like you talked about. And now they go, wait, we can't win without him. He needs to be a mainstay. And the team gets boxed into a corner and has to pay him. And, you know, uh, I got no problem with that. The big thing is to me, Mike, where where do you think – what's that – what do you think the money he'll finally settle on? I mean – realistically is he, is he going to be happy if he gets 12-5 like just Derrick Henry or he'll be happy in between Derrick Henry and a Joe Mixon or does he want more than that and this goes on for a little bit longer I have a feeling that it's going to be closer to Mixon and Henry than McCaffrey but yes. there may be some terms in there that that Sweeten will at first blush create the impression that it's a better deal than it is Right, gotcha. That the ego creeps into it, and we see some fluff that gets built into deals. Whether it's for the agent's benefit when it comes to using that deal to recruit new clients, or whether it's the player who just wants to be able to say, "I got paid like so and so," even when you scratch the surface and you realize he didn't really get paid like that guy, but it's part of that process of saying, "I got paid like that guy." We talked about Joe Mixon. And, you know, I want to be fair to Joe Mixon. We really haven't seen the best of him yet right. because they haven't had a passing game to complement his rushing ability. He's got two seasons of over 1,100 yards without a high-end offense around him, without a great offensive line. And for him, draw the line in the sand, get paid by a team that is notoriously very careful with its money, which is a, a you know, An understatement. way of saying cheap. And uh, to get the Bengals to, to go against this grain, because it's very easy for the Bengals to say, nope, 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 one more year with Joe under his rookie contract, and then we reserve the right to use the franchise tag. The franchise tag for tailbacks may be down to $8 million next year, the way things are going. We're not going to pay this guy. And maybe, this is a, maybe this is really the, 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 the news here. The headline is that the, the Mixon gets his contract. The news may be the Bengals could be changing. Chris, because this is not a Bengals-type move. Well, it's not, but hopefully they are changing. Hopefully Joe Burrow's giving them the confidence to to maybe make those type of moves to go, wait, we got a guy here that we think can lead us to a Super Bowl, so maybe we should support him. And Joe Mixon's one of the best running backs in football. He's a freak of nature. And we talked about scheme importance and all that to, like, as far as player to coach and all of that with McCaffrey and Kamara. Well, guess what? It's the same damn offense they're running there in Cincinnati. It's the West Coast offense. Zach Taylor, he learned the offense. He was with me, with John Gruden. He learned from Sean McVay later down the line. It's very similar to Sean Payton and Joe Brady and what they do. You know, that's why Todd Gurley had all those catches a few years ago when he was healthy with the Rams. It's a big part of the offense is using the back out of the backfield a la old school Roger Craig, San Francisco 49ers. It's where it all came from. So between that, again, the scheme fit, and then Joe Mixon, who's built out of granite. I mean, built out of granite. He is a freak show when you see him in person. He's got unbelievable power and explosiveness to run between the tackles. He's a very unique hybrid type runner to, to what you said, Mike. I think is really a superstar if he's on a good team, except he's on a team that's had no quarterback play, receivers who can't stay healthy, and an offensive line that sucks the last few years. And that's just the, the, the facts of the matter. Once Zach Taylor became the coach of the Bengals last year, Mixon himself was talking about what that offense could be, and it could be like the Rams. And 
basically his role could be like Todd Gurley's. And now we'll see yeah. whether or not the Bengals regret within a couple of years paying Mixon the way they did. But the key is now Gurley got paid early as well, but it was a knee issue dating back to his time at Georgia that right. caused his career to go haywire after he got paid. With Mixon, they're going to be hoping that he'll now hit a higher level just as this money is kicking in, and and we'll find out. But, uh, you know, he, he is one of the better running backs in football, uh, along with guys like Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook, and Josh Jacobs is on the rise, sure. but he's a couple of seasons away from a new contract. But, you know, a point we've made all week long, a guy who had more rushing yards last year than Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones of the Packers, who's waiting for his contract, and Josh Jacobs, who was great as a rookie, Leonard Fournette. Yeah. Free and clear. No waiver claims made by 4 p.m. Eastern time yesterday. Chris, I, we should have placed something of value. Maybe put it maybe on my Phil's tab. First Super Bowl ring on yeah, right. the wager. <laughs> the over under. We pegged it at four and a half. We pegged it way too high. The number was zero. The over under should have been 0 0.5 for the Leonard Fournette waiver claims. No one wanted that $4.167 million fully guaranteed contract. No one wanted to inherit Leonard Fournette sight unseen right now. As of yesterday, there were teams doing research, which yeah. tells me somebody is going to try to sign him. And, and as I said yesterday, he's better off being able to pick his next team. He's got that $4 million plus that he can pursue from the Jaguars. The grievance is still pending. I think he's got a much better argument than people realize. Yeah. And he can get whatever else he gets from another team and keep both. He can double dip because there's no offset language. The Rams and the Jaguars are the two teams that don't put offset language in top 10 contracts that are fully guaranteed to rookies. So he gets the full $4 million plus, and he gets whatever it is, incentive-laden contract, minimum salary, whoever, whenever, whatever, he keeps both. So it works out for him, and now we, we see where he's going to go. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I'm shocked. I, I really am. I thought there'd be a few teams out there, obviously, that would try to claim him for that price tag. I mean, when you look at the running back market and the players that are making that type of money, they're not in Leonard Fournette's class as far as a specimen and a player. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I was wrong there. I'm going to be really interested to see where he goes. I don't think this will be a long wait. Like, to me, I don't think this is going to be Earl Thomas. I don't know how you feel about it. I understand everybody's going to do their due diligence about looking behind the scene a little bit about Leonard Fournette because I know it's, it hasn't been perfect. But it hasn't been like, you know, the guys like uh, getting arrested and horrible either. So it's going to be about that team getting comfortable with them. And then, yeah, signing a guy who's, you know, got some freak show capability. So I, I would imagine here in the next four or five days, he gets signed. I think this is different than Earl Thomas. And I think this is a guy that's, of course, still in the prime of his career, which adds a lot more value to the conversation, too. So uh, I'll, I'll certainly be paying attention to, to the action here as far as Leonard Fournette's concerned. Well, to echo your broader point on Earl Thomas that we've mentioned a few times, if Earl Thomas truly were among the top half of all safeties in the NFL, he'd already have a job. He yeah. wouldn't be waiting 10 days after he was released by the Ravens. Leonard Fournette is in that conversation for the better running backs in the NFL. Yeah. From a skill standpoint, 1,152 rushing yards last year, 76 catches for 522 yards on top of it. I mean, we're talking about over 1,600 yards from scrimmage for a guy who was playing for a not very good team. Exactly, right. I, I feel like someone should be very quickly pursuing Leonard Fournette. And, you know, I, I kind of thought as you were explaining it, maybe – T. 
teams will wait until we get through Saturday because the roster's cut to 53 and there's a lot of stuff going on as teams. But you wait too long, somebody else is going to take him. Yeah. Somebody I, else is going to nab him. Right. And, I would and think if, by, and, sorry, I was just saying, I think by but your point, I would think by Saturday there's going to be a lot of clamoring for him. Like, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I thought you are fine. But, but yeah, I thought I, I would I would be worried about that. If you're a team that's really interested, you know, here you're going to get later into the week where, okay, teams are really going to start to tinker with their roster now and do some thinking. And, yeah, I mean, that would, to me, add some more teams into the conversation where you'd be risking that if you're a team that was real serious about it right now. Once Earl Thomas became available, we had quotes from coach after coach after coach saying we're fine with what we have. Sean McVay, the Rams coach, is the first one to say, as to Leonard Fournette, we're fine with the running backs we have. They have Darrell Henderson, Malcolm Brown, and Cam Akers yeah. as the three-headed monster. And that's how they've kind of set the tone the entire training camp and preseason, although preseason this year literally means before the season begins because there were no preseason games. But, you know, look, what, what, what a shock that the Rams, after getting burned by the Todd Gurley contract, exactly. have pivoted to a three-man weave right. at running back. They don't want another Todd Gurley contract. They don't want another Todd Gurley. Sorry, fantasy football fans, but they're not going to give you a guy that has all the rushing yards, all the receiving yards, and all the touchdowns. They're not playing that game because even though that game's fun to play early on, when the bill comes due, that's when it all goes sideways. Yeah, that's right. The bill comes due, it comes sideways, or that guy that you're paying all that money to gets hurt, and all of a sudden your offense isn't the same like the Rams last year, where, wait, there was a hole here that Todd Gurley used to run for 40 yards through. Now he only got 12. Oh, wait, here's a screen to Todd Gurley. You know, he used to hit his head on the goalpost for 80-yard touchdowns. Now he's getting a 30-yard gain. You know, so... Uh, so there's that issue as far as him being banged up. But then if he's not in there at all and banged up, that changes your team all the way. I mean, you know, follow the money. That's always a phrase I like to talk about with a team's success. If the money is not succeeding and playing well, then usually the team's not playing well either. And uh, that's what the risk you take with having one running back be your key focal point. And I think that's why you've seen teams like Belichick and even a Kyle Shanahan and things like that. They stay away from the one guy approach because they don't want to get stuck having to pay one guy and formulating their whole offense around him. You know, I hope you've noticed if you've been watching the program on Peacock and hopefully you are. And if you're watching it right now, you are watching it on Peacock. We got a lot more time to talk. We do a lot less time for commercials. But now is a point where we must take a break. Uh, and oh, by the way, we are live in London, the UK, Ireland today. Hello, London. We move, we move closer to prime time starting tomorrow. It's Ooh. either going to be 5 p.m. some days, maybe 7 p.m. others. So, you know, people can get home from work, get home from school. They don't have to worry about the DVR because it's not in the middle of the afternoon. It's actually better. Plus, the folks in London have a chance to maybe scrub out some of the language that Chris uses from time to time that they don't want the folks maybe. over there to hear. <laughs> the commissioner had some things to say that he wants us all to hear as it relates to his support for players who protest. The disconnect remains, though, between what the commissioner says and what the most popular owner in the NFL has to say. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. As the season approaches, the NFL has been conducting media conference calls roughly once per week, typically to update on COVID-19 and how that relates to the football aspects of dealing with the pandemic. 
Troy Vincent, the executive VP of football operations, has been available. Dr. Alan Sills, the chief medical officer. Yesterday, though, the owners convened by video conference, I presume, or teleconference, to talk about some final measures as they get the season uh, closer and closer into sight. The commissioner actually addressed the conference call yesterday and had some things to say about social justice and other topics. And uh, let's address some of those things, Chris, as it relates to the social justice issue and players protesting specifically during the national anthem. The commissioner said that uh, basically he continues to support the idea of players doing what needs to be done to shine a light on the issue of social justice and the NFL is committed and that's great and that's fine and that echoes what Roger Goodell said a week and a half or so ago on the uh, uncomfortable conversations with the black man digital series with Emmanuel Acho but but to me that just continues to highlight the disconnect between what the commissioner says and what Jerry Jones is trying to do and Jones was on 105.3 The Fan yesterday for the second time since last Tuesday. And the world has changed a lot since last Tuesday. Yeah. The world has changed dramatically as it relates to sports and social justice and player protests. Now the protest issue isn't taking a knee during the anthem. It's taking a seat and not even entering the game. And twice Jones has been on 105.3 The Fan since last Tuesday. And neither time was he asked about his stance on the anthem, on whether or not he's still trying to work Uh-oh. out a compromise. And I'm starting to think that they're telling 105.3, the fan, of don't course. ask. Of course. Don't ask that question. Right, of course. And that's why I say, uh-oh, they're telling they're telling 103.5 not to ask the question. He doesn't know what he wants to do yet. He's afraid of the backlash he might get from, you know, white racist America. Sorry, I don't know other, any other way to say it. Sorry, that's just the way it is. I And, and it, that bothers me. I don't know how you can really squash that right of players. They have the right to kneel. It's not about the flag. So many of these guys that have kneeled and are at the front of this conversation have family that has served or are police uh, policemen. So it's not about that. It's way bigger than that. And yes, there's an issue. And I'm glad to see Roger Goodell, you know, staying steadfast with his message. It's about time. The NFL, they're late to the game here. So it's good that it seems like they're going to finally back up, you know, the black players in the league and just the players in the league in general here for a subject that we know is very, very real. And um, I, I just hope that all 32 owners go through with it as well. And I really, I, I have no doubt. It's just one. It's really just one. We just don't know where it's going to go right now with, with that football team. Other things that the NFL will be doing to shine further light and bring further attention to social justice in the end zones on each end, it will say end racism on one end and it takes all of us on the other end on the on the back strip of the end zone by the goalpost. Uh, something we've written about, Peter King wrote about it as well. The names of victims of police violence and systemic racism can be displayed on that bumper at the bottom of the helmet. And you don't realize how conspicuous that is until until something's written on it. Exactly you know, some teams right. it's just that it's a white pad. Yeah. Some teams have the team name on it. But, you know, I think Peter had, a, and it's not an actual photo, it's something that was photoshopped to demonstrate what it will look like with George Floyd across the bottom of that helmet, with Breonna Taylor across the bottom of that helmet. That is powerful. Yeah. And when you watch a game, there's a lot of close-ups, and there it is. There's a lot of close-ups of guys, and you, you'll see those names. 
when the cameras zoom in, guy going back to the huddle, quarterback walking to the line of scrimmage, you're going to see those names on the back of those helmets, and I think that is going to be very, very powerful. But also, Chris, it's going to be very controversial. It's going to be very divisive. Because this is a polarizing issue, and you know I've gotten the question over and over again, are they allowed to have the names on there of police officers who were killed in the line of duty? Are they allowed to have David Dorn on there? Are there other names? You know, the, the, the names and the issues that that sharpen and increase the divide that that's the the, the nfl uh i don't know that the nfl truly appreciates what it's walking into here but once these things and it's one thing for us to talk about it right it's another thing for millions of people to tune into the games and see it because you've got millions of fans who are paying no attention right now yeah, right. to anything you and I are saying. Yeah. There's a shock. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I got the, you. This, just this tune is the in kind on of Sundays show, to watch football. Yeah, this is the show that caters to the people who have a true passion for the sport. There are people who watch games who don't have the passion. They just watch it because they watch it and they otherwise don't pay attention to it. When they see it next Thursday night, when they see the names on the helmets, when they see end racism at one end of the field, and it takes all of us at the other end of the field. It's going to be a big deal. And at a time when we're expecting presidential tweets over anthem protests, the tweets could stray into other topics related to it. And 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 this is where I, I think we still need to be paying attention. Will there be protests that go beyond not standing for the anthem? Will there be players, will there be teams that refuse to play like we saw last week? And you can call it a boycott. You can call it a wildcat strike. But you know what? Troy Vincent said some stuff yesterday on this conference call that's going to make it hard for the NFL to take the position it's a wildcat strike. He said, as it relates to protesting, the players all have a choice, an individual choice and right to either sit out or protest. The players want to see us leveraging the influence to hold officers that are bad officers to be held accountable. When you say they have a right to either sit out or protest and you are the executive VP of football operations for the National Football League, you are dangerously close to rewriting on the fly the CBA to give the players the right to say we're not playing today. And that is stunning to me that the NFL would even approach that line. Because and, and look, maybe the NFL is going there because the NFL is confident that at the end of the day, the players will be sufficiently appreciative of what the NFL is doing yep. that they won't feel compelled to walk out. But man, we've come a long way in a week if that's the case, because a week ago, Russell Wilson was saying, you know what, if we had a game this weekend, we wouldn't be playing. Right. So, you know, the NFL is putting itself at risk of something like that happening and these comments from Troy Vincent are going to make it very hard for the NFL to do anything about it if it does. Yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting. You know, first off, uh, it is. And I, I guess, the, you know, a lot of things that they hit there. First off, yeah, I do think the backlash or the names on the helmets and all that is going to be real and a real issue to deal with here because you're, you're right. I think there's going to be a faction of the public tuning in games going, what the hell? And we've already seen that backlash with NBA basketball. I mean, I, I, I see it. I hear it. Oh, I can't watch it. They're wearing Black Lives Matter T-shirts. They're kneeling down. Oh, my gosh. How, how dare these black men care about their black communities? What jerks they are. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. But, yeah. Uh, I think Troy Visson's empowering players a little bit. I mean, first off, 
it's the constitutional right of a human being to be able to do some of these things. So screw the league or whatever else. Now, if a player boycotts a game, hey, they're going to take the risk of, yeah, boycotting a game and not getting paid. And that's going to be an issue, too. And maybe voids a contract. I don't know where that goes. Um, but but I, I do think the players want to play. And I'll echo something that we talked about a little last week with Mike Tirico and stuff. And I know this is what I heard you know, President Obama told LeBron James and some of the basketball players, the best way to still get your message out there is be on the field and to carve out that time you have on TV playing the interviews after. There's nothing bigger than that right there. That's still going to be the biggest thing you can do to change the conversation. So I hope the players don't protest and do that or, or sit out games. I have no problem with protests, but sit out games because uh, I don't know if that necessarily will do the best to get the conversation changed either. And and let's remember, okay, people have constitutional rights. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're free from consequences for exercising those rights. And in a collectively bargained environment, gotcha. some of those rights go away. And and look, the, the NFL accidentally created the right for players to kneel during the anthem. When this all came up three years ago, the policy that the NFL created that said you shall be on the sidelines and should stand, that was widely interpreted, and the NFL never fought this as meaning it's mandatory to be on the sideline. It's not mandatory to stand. It doesn't say shall. It says should. And that became the crux of this back and forth between the league and the union where if there was going to be a mandate to stand for the anthem, it had to be collectively bargained. That's what happened with the NBA back in the 90s when a player – didn't stand for the anthem, and within a couple of days, they rewrote the CBA to mandate standing for the anthem. So, you know, the CBA mandates playing games. The CBA has a no-strike, no-lockout provision. You cannot launch a Wildcat strike for reasons that are wholly unrelated to the sport. And these reasons that a player would be not playing, that a team would be refusing to play, have nothing to do with any actions by the owners. Yeah. So so we're not talking about constitutional rights here. We're talking about collectively bargained rights and how many of those rights the NFL are will be willing to waive, yeah. essentially, for PR reasons. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Right. Like, Mike, I mean, you could – like, if you had – guaranteed money still left to be paid right and you decided you'd want to you know boycott a game and not play uh, I mean but what you're saying is that that could be in trouble right those guarantees through the contract look the the, the the guarantees that are now given to players where it's guaranteed for skill injury and cap what we sometimes call fully guaranteed but as we are learning with Earl Thomas it doesn't mean it's fully guaranteed there's language in there that voids the guarantees. That's what I was reading the other day from Leonard Fournette's contract. What does it take for Leonard Fournette to be in a position where the Jaguars can say, you know, your future guaranteed money, that's yeah, voided now. Right. And they're going to fight over whether or not he did something that falls within the four corners of the document. Well, the void language in all of these contracts begins with a failure or refusal to practice or play. So if you say, I'm not playing... The first problem you have is if you have guaranteed money, that that voids it yeah. if the team wants to take that position. But beyond that, if you talk about a, a team or players launching an illegal wildcat strike, you get into some fairly big-ticket damages items that get resolved in court 
right? You go to court, you get an injunction forcing them to go back to work, and then they have to compensate you for the losses arising from their failure to work, period. So, I mean, let's just, I'll give you an example of, of how this could go if the NFL would decide to be aggressive about it. Let's say that an entire week of games gets wiped out and doesn't get made up because the players collectively walk out and refuse to play over social justice issues. Yeah. Seizing upon the, the language from Troy Vincent, and again, the language of Troy Vincent can make the league's case a little bit harder, but if it's an illegal wildcat strike, every dollar the league lost that weekend, that comes from the players. That's a damages award that eventually gets issued by a court saying, hey, NFL Players Association, you owe the NFL whatever it would be, whatever hundred million it would be for right. losing a week of NFL action, the TV money, the stadium money, although this year, who knows what that's going to be. So that's that's the financial risk. And 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 it's it's refreshing and it's surprising to see to see Troy Vincent taking the position that they have the right to do it. Yeah. I, it, it, and, and again, I don't know if the NFL is going to push it, Chris, but I was stunned by that. And uh, we'll see how that all plays out. And we'll see if we get to the point where teams or players are refusing to play as part of the protest that could extend far beyond not standing for the national anthem. All right. We've got some more NFL news coming up and one of our favorite segments, which doesn't belong and why. We'll do that when PFG Live continues right after Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Joe Judge doing what he can to get his players behind him. Muddy mess. Mask on. Loose ball. And the slide and the dive, and he covers it up, and then he's doused in water. And, uh, hey. That's awesome. i tell you what. They seem to like him. Yeah. For, for a guy that's making him run laps, for a guy that's being a Bill Belichick hard ass, he's doing something right, Chris. Well, yeah. You know, Mike, it's a little bit what we talked about when we – I think that was early last week, right? He's got to do something, too. To, he's got to find that way to communicate with them to where, okay, yeah, run a lap, but – I also care for you guys and we can have some fun and some laughs and you can come into my office and talk about a life issue or whatever that may be. That'll go a long way. And I, you know, stuff like that goes a long way with players. It really does. Everybody loves to like, 
get their boss messy and do that type of stuff, right? I mean, you saw him. He's laying on the ground there. One of the players is still spraying the hose on him because he's like, oh, I love, this is awesome. I can spray the coach. This is great. But that will go a long way to team camaraderie, the way the players look at him, and maybe make them a little bit more accepting when he does, you know, uh, lay the hammer and says run a lap. I, I will say this. I noticed the hose. I think they need to do something about the water pressure at the Giants practice facility because it really wasn't coming out of the hose all that, all that uh, aggressively. All right. Which doesn't belong and why? One of our favorite segments here where we go through three things and we have to come up with which one doesn't fit. And the last time we did it, it gave me mental fits trying to figure out which doesn't belong and why. Here we go. Bill Belichick coaching disciples. Joe Judge, Brian Flores, Matt Patricia, which doesn't belong and why? Well, uh, the one that stands out to me is Joe Judge, just because uh, two reasons. One, he's not a coordinator like Patricia and Flores were, right? They were, you know, de facto coordinators. I don't know if Flores ever got the official job title there, but that's what he was. And, of course, Joe Judge hasn't coached an NFL game yet, so he's still, you know, a rookie uh, as far as that's concerned. So I think that's why I would say he doesn't belong in this conversation. Brian Flores doing some good things down there in Miami. They're building something. Big year for Matt Patricia. We don't know what to expect from Joe Judge yet. We know nothing about him. I've liked what, you know, how he's handled his team and, and the way he comes off in front of the media and all that stuff. I've been impressed. Uh, but, yeah, he's the one that jumps out to me. What about you, Mike? To me, it's Flores. Flores is the man genius of the bunch. He's the one who stayed in the division and stuck his finger in the eye of Bill Belichick. And <laughs> it's amazing. Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, and and yeah. look, it, it, it was fine last year because the Dolphins stunk. Right. But if the Dolphins turn into something, there's going to be a little problem there. And I'm surprised there hasn't been a problem yet because we know how big of a deal it was when Eric Mangini defected for the Jets. Now, maybe it's because it was the Jets and not the Bills or the Dolphins because there's that, that just – thing between the Jets and the Patriots and Belichick and the Jets. But yeah, I, you, you leave Bill Belichick, you leave the division and ideally you leave the conference like Joe Judge and Matt Patricia did. So Flores, I respect him for staying in the division and dealing with Belichick twice per year because I think these other guys just don't want to have anything to do with him. Well, yeah, to your point, I mean, you know, to what you're saying, he he cost the Patriots a bye last year in the playoffs with that week 17 win and all that. So He's already, you know, given Bill a little bit of a headache or something to think about here going in the future. So uh, I hear you. That was a good one. I like that. What's next? All right. Next one, which doesn't belong and why? Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley. Ooh. I'm going to say Leonard Fournette doesn't, uh, doesn't belong. I mean, one, he's not on a team like the other two are right now. But the other thing is, to me, Leonard Fournette has nothing to prove as a player. Like, I know where he's at. He's in the prime of his career. Le'Veon Bell, I don't know where the hell he is right now. I don't know if he's anywhere near being justified, being able to justify over $13 million a year at the running back position. You know, we've talked, uh, you know, yesterday. It's, he didn't play great last year, and I know it wasn't a lot of help around him, but didn't play any football the year before, so where's he at? And then Todd Gurley, I think the same question. You know, you could ask just a – has he passed his prime? I, I mean, more than likely, I would say yes. And I think he has something to prove, too, to show that, hey, I'm not totally done here. I got a few years left. I could still be dangerous and break a long one down the sidelines. Uh, so to me, those two guys have something to prove. Where Leonard Fournette uh, has nothing to prove physically on the field to me at this point. To me, it's Todd Gurley just because, and I hate to say it because I know it upsets him. He doesn't like it coming up. He doesn't want to have bad karma on his knee. 
but it's been a common theme now for a long time. The knee is a problem. He's not the same player that he was because of the knee. He's got that clear physical limitation that is going to dog him for the rest of his career. The questions are going to come up in Atlanta no matter how well he does. He could have 1,500 rushing yards, and we're going to get to the end of the season – and if he has 1,500 yards, clearly they're going to be in the postseason conversation. And the yeah. questions are going to be, how's the knee, how's the knee, how's the knee? And we're always going to be waiting for that moment where he can't play because of the knee. That's what separates him from the other two. All right, how about number one receivers in uncertain quarterback situations? Allen Robinson of Chicago, Keenan Allen of the Chargers, Terry McLaurin of Washington, which doesn't belong in why? I'm going to go with Terry McLaurin, first off, because his quarterback has really got very, very limited experience. I mean, Allen Robinson is going to have Folger Trubisky. I mean, Trubisky's played in the playoffs. Keenan Allen, of course, Tyrod Taylor, he's played in a playoff game too and been around. McCorrin's, you know, coming, he's young and coming up with a, a young quarterback. Also, he's a different player than the other two. Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson are possession receivers, good route runners. Terry McLaurin has three rockets up his butt. He is Tyreek Hill. He is that kind of guy. He is take the top off a of defense, speed sweep around the edge for 70. He has special, special game-breaking type speed. That's why I say he doesn't belong. Yeah, and I'm going to say Terry McLaurin just because I feel like there's so much unwritten with him. We have an idea of who Allen Robinson yeah, is. We right. have an idea of who Keenan Allen is. Terry McLaurin comes out and has this great season amid just a bunch of dysfunction in Washington. How good can he be? There's a fascination with Terry McLaurin that there isn't with the other guys because yeah. they've been around That's a good longer. Way to and he's put still it. got that 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 new car smell. Yeah, right. Right. So that new shine. All right. Right. Uh all right, we didn't get to the last two topics. What a shame because I really wanted to get to the next one. We got a whole hour <laughs> left. We'll hit it. Don't we worry. Got, we got state of the franchise. Three teams left. We'll do one of them when PNC Live continues. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.